Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it will be enjoyable and edifying for all listeners, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on lessons or sermons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm a discipleship pastor for the Spiritual Formation Office at Indiana Wesleyan University. And my guest this week is DJ Freemeyer. Uh, DJ's been on the show a number of times before. He is a fantastic Bible scholar and expert in the Hebrew Bible or the Tanakh and with expertise in uh, the prophets as well as in poetry. And so it's so great to have him on this week to talk about Psalm 97. He himself actually hosts a podcast of his own that you should definitely check out called uh, 700 Seconds in a Psalm. So check that out. Just type that into all your major podcast apps and you can find that there. It's a great resource. So our psalm this week is Psalm 97. So if you're not listening along while you're jogging or uh, doing dishes, you might want to open that up so you can follow along, but you'll be able to track because we'll definitely read it for you either way. While you're listening to the show, if you're enjoying it and you want to pass it on to someone else, just press the share button on your podcast player app of choice and send it along in a text message or social media to your friends. Let them know about the show. That's the, Most people find out about shows like this through word of mouth, so we appreciate anything you can do to, to get the word out. And lastly, if you want to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and find out how to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this conversation with DJ. Psalm 97. Yeah. Would you be willing to read the passage to get us started? And then we'll see where it goes from there. Let's do it. All right. The 97th Psalm. My Lord reigned. The earth will resound. The many islands will rejoice. A cloud and darkness are surrounding him. Righteousness and judgment are a foundation of his throne. A fire will walk before his faces and will burn around his adversaries. His flashes illuminated the world. The earth saw and shook. The mountains melted like wax (laughs) from before the faces of my Lord. All the earth from before the faces of the master. The heavens declared his righteousness, and all the people saw his glory. All the servants of an image will be shamed. The ones who are themselves boasting in idols, worthless idols will so worship, bow to him all gods. Zion heard and rejoiced. The daughters of Judah resounded On account of your judgments, my Lord, for you, my Lord, are highest over all the earth. You exceedingly raised yourself over all gods. Residing lovers of my Lord hate harm. The one guarding the lives of his binding lovers from the hands of the wicked ones, he delivered. Light is being sown for the righteous. And rejoicing 
for the ones who are upright in heart. Rejoice, righteous ones, in my Lord, and give thanks for the remembrance of his holiness. Amen to that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for all that you are, all that you do. Uh, We join our voices with this psalm in declaring uh, your greatness, recognizing who you are, putting our hope that the nations will see and be glad in who you are as well. And Father, we ask that in this hour, as we study your word, that your spirit would be working among us, that we may be faithful interpreters, uh, interpreters that bear fruit for all those who are listening in, that they too will be uh, rendered faithful by this time of study and reflection. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, so can I ask you a few translation questions? Because I could tell you were sight reading today. <laughs> I'm happy to address any questions. Yeah. Yeah, I always think uh, for our listeners, I'm always like, hey, if somebody's reading a little slow, it's because they're probably <laughs> <laughs> taking this straight from the Hebrew. I noticed the you chose to go with a plural for Panim, the, the faces, before his faces, What's the, you know, I, I know I know a little bit about this word. I know a lot of translations take it as a, turn it into the abstract term presence, you know. Yes. Which, yes. which I understand. Yeah. But, but a lot is lost in it's such a visual striking image. Although the more literal ones still usually just, they singularize it and call it face. So I was, I was wondering what's the, what's the thinking there? What are your thoughts about face, faces of God, all this? Yeah. So I think since we are in the image of God, um, we get this hmm. when we look at our ourselves in that we don't just make one face to each other. Oh. We make lots of different faces. I can make an angry face towards you. I can make a happy face towards you. I can make all sorts of emotional faces towards you. And God can do the same towards us, or in this case, the mountains, right? Okay. God can make different faces towards the mountains. And the faces that God makes determines what happens, right? It determines how the relationship sure. goes, depending on what face I'm I'm giving you. Yeah, because that's the expression of attitude and relation. And okay, that's great. So it's actually, it's almost like it's one of those great cases where you drive something a little bit more literal and it it's creates confusion and then you drive it even more literal and it becomes clear again. You know what I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> a lot of phrases in Hebrew are that way. Yeah. Like even ironically making it singular before his face still kind of sounds metaphorical. I, weirdly, the plural kind of jars helps. you into like saying, Oh yeah, it's got many yeah. facial expressions. <laughs> yeah. And to just say the presence, well, fine, but there are many ways to be present. Right. With right. Or with something in this instance. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we can stay with that for a moment. Yeah. So what is going on here with the the mountains and the fire and yeah, like what is happening? There's something, there's something significant here and it's not, it's not immediately apparent to me as a reader. So I think that's one of the beauties of the poetry within this particular Psalm is that, it can be very open-ended. 
Yeah. In the sense of this could apply to a lot of different situations. However, that being said, each of the words in this particular psalm have connections back even to Exodus uh, 19 to 20. Okay. So in that story, you're going to see flashes. You're going to see fire. You're going to see mountains, heat, the faces of the Lord. You're going to see all of the cloud and darkness imagery. Um, You're going to see the foundation of his throne. All of these things. All the people saw his glory. They're going to, you're going to see an image along with idol. Oh, the idol worshipers then of chapter 32, the golden calf, as it were. Yes. And I think even at the very end, a mistranslated or perhaps a translation of the last verse can influence how you perceive it. But the literal Hebrew phrase is the remembrance of his holiness. And so there is this reflection or remembering back to Hmm. even texts like Exodus when God has been shown holy, that can be a reason to give thanks. Kodesh. Yeah. Okay. Remember. Yeah. So how did you, how would you recommend to translate 12 or even the very last? So uh, rejoice righteous ones in Mm -hmm. my Lord and give thanks for the remembrance of his holiness. Okay. The remembrance of his holiness. Give thanks for the remembrance of his holiness. So what what are some other translations? You said that's kind of like a debated translation. Yeah. So some will say like uh, celebrate. Okay. Celebrate his holy. They don't even use remembrance. Yeah. They use uh, celebrate. Even altar who's so careful in this case doesn't do remembrance. His holy name. A lot of will say name. Okay. uh, Instead of. Remembrance. But that's not the word for a name. It is not the word for name. Even <laughs> though care, right? even though many are saying name, it's not the word for name. But that's what you might expect. So his you, holy name. You might read that in where sure. it's not there. That's strange. Yeah, I thought I'd, I got a parallel Bible with a bunch of versions here just for funsies when I have these kind of questions. Uh, this is seven. Wait, not 79, 97. 9712, yeah. So 97.12, King James is rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. So they went straight. Yes. As often as their case. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I think is helpful. Yeah. And yeah. NIV, rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Praise his holy name in uh, NLT as well. Yeah. So where the heck are they getting name from? Because it's not even like a. They're just adding it because it's praise his holiness. Yeah, it is a rather strange construction. Because that is a stock phrase, praise his holy right. name. Right? Praise so his holy not, name okay. is a stock phrase. Yeah, and this construction is to... But, but they're not translating, uh, what is it, uh, you know, zakar? No, they're not translating They're, not, they're just dropping that yep. word, the remembrance word. And hmm. seeing in it with the preposition, perhaps a name remembered rather than... Uh, okay a memorial or a remembrance, okay. something something that you're looking back to, they'll say what is being remembered is the name. So okay. this, they're interpreting this phrase as a stand-in for the name. 
Okay. A name. Which is not impossible, but it's not, there aren't other clues in the we text. We can remember to, yeah. someone who lived in the past or acted in the past through their name, right? Right. Okay. We can remember ancestors and genealogies. So it's not a completely bonkers leap, but it's not, but it it's is not, a leap. Yeah, it is a leap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a leap either way. Yeah. Okay. So how does that double back walk me through? I, I, I'm getting a sense of it, but how does that last sentence interpretation and even just translation of the last clause sort of shape our take on the whole Psalm? You, you started with that and then I was like, Ooh, walk me through the translation <laughs> stuff for a bit. So yeah. You so say how that shapes the Psalm as a whole. I think the whole Psalm leads us into, it is a Psalm of Thanksgiving and a Psalm of rejoicing. We can rejoice when we remember how God has been holy or okay. how God has, because another option for that last phrase is the remembrance of his Holy One. Okay. So even remembering someone whom God has made holy, someone like Moses or Miriam or, or Aaron or fill in the blank with names, someone like that. Or even the people. Or even the as people a singular, as a right, singular yeah. entity. Remembering that can bring the rejoicing and thanksgiving that the psalm is inviting you into. Okay. Okay. So it's this link between re- remembrance and rejoicing yes. is why it's so. And so when you, when you slip that out, you might miss the clue that we're looking back to. We're looking events, back yeah. to respond now right. in our situation. Because really only eight verse eight is your first reference to anything. Temporal. Yeah. In the sense of when this might right. have been composed. Zion and Judah's Daughter daughters. Judah's, yeah. Daughters of Judah. Those phrases can help us, though they're used very anciently, right? Those right. phrases do occur in ancient contexts. They gain popularity in certain time periods. Sure. Okay. Um, whereas the material, like you said, I mean, verse 1 through 7 – just all feels very Exodus. Yes. Um, though, like you said, Zion and Judah's daughters are not, uh, they're not completely off, off the radar in Exodus. They are the no. end where things are headed. You know, so, the, yeah. There is presence yeah. of it in, in Exodus yeah, and in the composition of Exodus. And you even get an implied, I mean, it is mountains, verse 5. You yes. get an implied, like there's the mountains down there, the mountain of God, and then there's the other mountain of God up in so you could take verse eight as a, as a shifting to, well, also here where we are, right? as we remember these stories down in the wilderness. Or even as we look upon foreign mountains, if you think of daughter of Judah, daughters of Judah as connected to exile, oh, okay. they could be remembering back to Zion as well as Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. Yeah. yeah. So here amongst these foreign mountains, we look back. Okay. That's very, very helpful. Uh, Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some more. All right, we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, DJ Freemeyer, and we are looking at Psalm 97, uh, one of the psalms uh, set aside for, I guess we're here late in the Easter season that this is scheduled for. Kind of now I want to look now that I bring that up. Well, so this particular psalm is 
the time of season that this works really well is coming close to Pentecost. So, um, because well, that's perfect. So it's set in the lectionary this year for the Sunday before Pentecost. Yes, so. perfect. Because Pentecost is the time in which the Lord comes to Mount Sinai. That's on Pentecost right. and speaks to the people. That's that's a Pentecost celebration that is remembered. From, for generations in the future are going to look back on that Pentecost and the uh, future generations will celebrate that Pentecost. So what's the, we've talked about Pentecost a couple of times before you and I, and what is the origin of the terminology Pentecost? Cause I always see the five in there. I assuming it has something to do with the 50 days, but I wasn't sure if maybe that was just an accident uh, on my part of interpreting the word. No. So, um, the Hebrew phrase is Shavuot, which is weeks, because you okay. count off a number of weeks to to equal forty nine days, right? Which gets you fifty. And the then day the fiftieth day, okay. the next day, is the celebration. So of the it. term Pentecost is a is a Greek invention. That term as a kind of it's an substitute. attempt to translate Shavuot. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Since you have weeks that you're counting uh, from. Passover to this particular event of Mount Sinai. Right. Cause that's how long it takes them. I mean, it's, it's quite clearly narrated in Exodus. Right. How long well, I, I mentioned that we've talked about before. This wasn't on mic, just you and I talking one time about the story in John 21 of the 153 uh, yes. fish. And you had said in passing, Oh, well that's Pentecost. We had every other, we had every other festival. That's yes. the one festival missing. Jesus celebrates Pentecost yeah. in and John. Yeah. And it's, it's not identified as in a time frame that way, but it, that's where it fits in the narrative of the festivals. Right. Yes. Yeah. And this particular Psalm is looking back to that time period. That's of so perfect. To your knowledge, was this even identified as a kind of feast of weeks Psalm and used as such frequently? In, in, yes. In Jewish uh, lectionaries or whatnot. I mean, maybe they don't use that term, but yeah. So it would, it would be incorporated stuff, yeah. in the reading list during around this time, like time designation wise in between Passover and Pentecost. So perfect. This, this Psalm fits perfectly here. Okay. Yeah, sometimes sometimes the revised common lecturer will make these little what do I call it? Uh, maybe mashups. That's how it relates to the other texts, as well as these kind of matchmaking of times of the year with texts. And sometimes they obscure more than they manifest. You know what I mean? Like, like yes. uh, or they help illumine another text, right? Like, if, right. say the New Testament lesson or the Gospel lesson quotes that Psalm. Okay, well that's helpful. You know? Yes. Uh, in terms of how it intersects. So the intertextuality is helpful. Um, and in this one, the intertextuality. But here it's not forced. Pregnant. It fits. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes those intertexts are a little forced. Maybe they're good for the other readings, but not, but often the psalm is in service of other readings, what I'm trying to say mm, in the lectionary. Yes. It's clear that the gospel readings are being chosen first and kind of everything's being designed around that, which is understandable given that the Christian year, especially the Christmas and Easter cycles, are Christological, you know, stories. Yes. But the Christological stories, especially the Easter cycle, you know, from Holy Week, Easter, Pentecost, is itself built and woven <laughs> into a the Jewish festival of Passover and Pentecost, right? It's right. kind of... This uh, particular one, it though... Works. It, it works. It totally works. Because yeah. you can tell the story of, of Pentecost 
from the Mount Sinai experience. You can tell the story of Pentecost from even the prophetic fire and the islands receiving God's instructions and being called to a commitment to remember. Or you can tell the story from the the many Jewish festival participants who had come from yeah. all the islands to... Which links up, you said, to the exile yes. sense that that daughters of Zion, daughters, daughters of, Judah of Judah might have here. Yes. And the many islands coming in acts too, like all of it can be told through this Psalm. And aren't some of them quite literally some islands. Yes, in absolutely. Acts, right. The now I want to Jewish to festival the participants the yeah. that come, come from islands. And there is, there is a sense in which every landmass is an island. Right. I mean, maybe this is too cute by half, but, would there be a certain sense in which, because these were likely enclave communities where they were, they could see themselves as islands within? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, like, and I feel like that's a natural right? metaphor. Yeah. If you're, if you're living in the Jewish community in Babylon, you're a Jewish island in a sea of pagans, right? <laughs> and worshiping congregations today are islands. That's right. And also the idol worshippers' language takes on a different flavor yes. then. Yes. In that... Ex, that exile context different than the connotation that will be taken on in the Roman and Greek deity context mm-hmm. where it was still practiced. Right. Right. Just different idols. Still an idolatrous heart. Right. Okay. Or now maybe. I want to, or maybe not, or maybe today. Oh, oh, really? Oh no, no. In the heavens. images and we idols. Have no, we have no today. idols. Yeah, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. I don't know where those are. Pamphylia, yep. Uh, provinces near Turkey, yep. Okay, in but Egypt, in parts into... of Libya, about Cyrene. Cyrene. <laughs> and then strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes. Cretes. Cretes. So that's island, yep. islanders. And Arabians who hear tongues and the, hear, hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So, yeah, you literally have a couple islanders mentioned. And then more metaphorically, they're all islanders. Yes. And then once again, literally, because all land is an island. <laughs> yeah. And surrounded by things that could be perceived as constraining us. And, and that's what the word in verse 3 means. Um, it's frequently translated enemies or adversaries, but it's those who constrain or tighten. Oh. Um, and that is that is definitely what's happening in Acts 2 with the apostles and definitely what was happening for the people Absolutely. of Israel in Exodus and in the exile. There is this Is that the same word in Psalm 23, the presence of my enemies, or is that a different enemy is there? Oh, I shouldn't have put you on I the spot look. for that. Don't you want to look now? Yes. Sword drill. <laughs> Did you ever do those as a kid? <laughs> Sword drills, have you heard of those? Yes. <laughs> because there there are other words that right, you can right. choose for enemies. Don't think this is yeah, the one this you're is, nope. This is what? Uh, this one's Zara. 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 Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if to pronounce that terminal vav or not. Oh, yeah, it's different. Raya. Anyway, it was fun. <laughs> it's a fun thought. 
because so, I just because we just did Psalm twenty three like it's like two weeks before this episode. So we in that context, the word used there is for reconciling those who are opposed to each right, other. Right, and that's how we took it. Right, so I just thought. And I, so there needs to be a table set so that reconciliation. That's how we interpreted it. So I was just having a second guess moment. I'm like, ooh, is this a different? Did I did I mistake that or? But yeah. here in this psalm, this word. There is a tightening, a constraining that is Got happening, it. and God is going to step in, or sorry, With has already yes. stepped in, right? And and use the fire to constrain those who would try and constrain God's people and God's work. The fire is going to stop them from doing that. Yeah. So the mountains melting like wax is that just a display of power, or does it fit that? same kind of constraining of constrainers theme. Yeah. So there, like I said, the poetry of the Psalm is beautiful and that it's open-ended, right? Right. So if you think of mountains melting like wax, typically mountains are places where those who have the highest ground have the best position in battle. Right. And Uh, for them to melt, their advantage is leveled quite literally. Right. But also, if the mountains are keeping you uh, contained um, and keeping resources contained, as mountains do, they'll keep clouds from happening, rain from happening. If it's containing it and the mountains melt, then those resources can get there. Okay. If you're making a journey and the mountains in your way, there are lots of connotations. Even in Exodus 20, um, 19 and 20, the Lord is going to melt the mountains as a, as a, a visual for the people to recognize if we do not respect God's reign, then we will melt too. Yeah. Don't let anything, not even a goat, touch the, the mountain. Yeah. Right? Respect the boundaries that God's going to set up. Yeah. And if you do that, then you can be elevated like a mountain. You can last like a mountain, but if not, you're going to melt away. You're going to get melted. And so they say, uh, Moses, would you just go up and talk to him? We don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> right. And Moses goes into the deep darkness yeah. um, where God dwells. Which and the clouds and dense fog of verse two seem to. That happens in Exodus yeah. as well. God dwells in the darkness. The darkness is not something scary to God. God dwells there yeah. from the beginning of time. God dwells in the darkness and is enshrouded with the cloud of God's presence where you cannot see how God is present. Mm-hmm. You cannot look into the darkness to see God, but yet light can come out of the darkness and sound can come out of the cloud. Yeah. And he can, so you have the lightnings coming out, lighting up the world from four from the darkness, as well as darkness. in 11 yes. light is sown for the just um, yes, the language of light. There's the light shows up again out. there. the The word used in verse four is like flashes. Okay, so it's a word that's used for the flashes of light that hit metal, like on spears or arrows. Okay, in battle, you'll see flashes of light, uh, but also for lightning. So you get these glimpses yeah. that illuminate. And those only glimpses, not a permanent <laughs> right. And it shines the world. But then if you think of it in terms of lightning, you also have the flip side of lightning, which is thunder. 
Mm-hmm. And here you have the earth seeing and shaking. Yeah. In the sense of uh, there is a physical vibration that in happens. In the earth, right. And fittingly second, light comes first and then right. the thunder. The flashes rumbling. come first and then come the shaking. Yeah, and that's why it's so crucial to not take earth as some sort of – I mean, it may have – It may be an earthquake. It may have application to – the peoples of the earth. But at first, this is just the earth. Yeah. <laughs> the land. Sometimes I translate it the land just to yes. get because us out the of the globe. Migration. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, 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 the stuff under us is shaking. Which, if you think of with connections to Acts 2 again, there's Heck the yeah. shaking, right? And um, the word itself can mean also dancing. Okay. Where the there is this rhythmic vibration in the dance, and the earth can be dancing along to what God is doing. Yes, instead of seeing the earth as the sort of object or target of all this like terror, it's more the earth. These are God's own instruments. That yes, are, that are in tune with Him. So as why he's communicating aren't with the people? Yeah. Okay. In tune. If the natural world is in tune with yeah. what God's doing, why aren't humans? Yeah, that's really good. Can I ask you one more translational question and then we'll take a break for some sermon starters in our third segment? But I did notice uh, in verse 10, there is this this use of this famous word chesed that you translated, I think, was it, how did you do verse 10? You had this, like, guards the lives of the, guards the, the throats of the, Binding ones or something. Uh, help me with that. that. That was one of the slowest moments in your in your live reading because it's a tricky. It is phrase. tricky. There, yeah. are two, there are two words for love in in verse ten. The first word is ahava, which indicates a a love that desires to reside or be with someone okay. or something. So you want that present with you. Okay. But then there is hesed, which is or um, here it's in this case, the plural hesedim right, yeah, or right. hesedive. So hesedive, yeah. that word for love indicates someone who is bound and loyal. Even if the even if the person's not here, you're still loyal to even them. Absence, you are okay. bound to them even in absence because you are never going to abandon that person. That's hesed, and so. I translated it as residing lovers of my Lord hate okay. harm to get the ahava sense of it. I see what you were doing. Okay. And then the one who is guarding the lives of the binding lovers, he delivers. So whoever is guarding those who are loyal in love to the Lord, God can deliver from the hand of the wicked ones. So even if there are wicked ones who have their hands and are wanting to cause you harm, the one who hates that and who is actively trying to guard those people, the Lord can deliver. Okay. So think about all the times the Lord delivers people who are protecting um, God's people and the ones who are in a covenant relationship with God. All the ones who step into that position of trying to protect, God delivers again and again. It's all throughout Exodus, all the way through Acts and oh, absolutely, that's even the Gospels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's great. No, that's really, really helpful. And 
Yeah, the residing lovers and the the binding lovers. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to make it a mouthful, you could say abiding lovers and binding lovers, but then <laughs> yes. it might get a little. Then that might get you a little. You could play too. with that. Yeah, but there's something to be played with there. Okay, that's very very helpful. Um, well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. We're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, DJ Freemeyer, and we are looking at Psalm 97. I'll read the passage again just so it's fresh in all our ears. Um, this is from um, Robert Alter's translation, uh, 97. And uh, and after that, we'll just kind of explore you know, where we might want to take this in a teaching or preaching setting, uh, what would might be our focus, you know, because we had a lot of great uh, ideas already on the table, but but how might that apply uh, to our lives? So here goes. The Lord reigns. Let earth exult. Let the many islands rejoice. Cloud and dense fog around him, justice and judgment, the base of his throne. Fire goes before him and all round burns his foes. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and quaked. Mountains melted like wax before the Lord, before the master of all the earth. The heavens told his justice and all peoples saw his glory. All idol worshipers are shamed who boast of the ungods. All gods bow down to him. Zion heard and rejoiced and Judah's villages exalted because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are greatly exalted over all the gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He guards the lives of his faithful from the hand of the wicked. He saves them. Light is sown for the just and for the upright of heart. There is joy. Rejoice, O you just in the Lord and acclaim his holy name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so where where might you take this and or what advice might you have for others who might be preaching or teaching on a psalm uh, like this? I think because the psalm itself is remembering in order to rejoice, I think that needs that should be a component of yeah. preaching or teaching on this psalm where there can be a call to the people if you truly trust that God is the highest, that the Lord is powerful, that the Lord can deliver, then you can rejoice even when it seems like there are unjust decrees, that the godless are thriving, that there is no judgment or justice within uh, your particular context. You can still rejoice because the Lord is going to work for the protection of the upright. And it can also be a, if you truly trust that, then the Lord is the one whose judgment and justice you should be fearing, <laughs> not mm. necessarily human judges or those who are enacting decrees in current contexts. Yeah. Yeah. Who we uh, can get real caught up in what <laughs> what judgments are being rendered against us uh in all sorts of ways yeah, yeah. anyone who has is in a position of power and can enact a judgment 
and that you disagree, you can take it to the Lord who yeah. can melt even mountains, who is higher than any judge or decree giver. <laughs> and yet who's hidden in, in cloud the and dense fog. Yes. So you can't always see where it's going. You can see flashes though. Yeah, right. There Instances right. in which God has worked. Hence clues signs. There Hence signs. the remembering though. Whereas yeah. expecting to be able to trace exactly the way it's going to go now. And I think that's the power in the phrase, light is sown, right? So if you, you, <laughs> right. can't, you can't sow light, it's not a seed that you can right. sow in the ground. Because light that goes into the ground has to come out. So you will see it come out mm-hmm. eventually. You will see the light break forth. Right now, it just might, it be, might hidden be hit in, as a seed in what you perceive as a mountain that can't be moved. Right. Or as a land that will never change. Yeah. The, f- the famous phrase of moving mountains, you know, if you have faith, you can move mountains. Connects you know, really well with yeah, the Yeah, it really, really does. Yeah. So if you have faith, mountains can be moved. It's not you are going to move it. Ones, right. It's the Lord who can move the mountain. And we have su- stories accordingly. It's not just the metaphor in that sense. You know, right. when you hearken back to Pentecost. When you hearken back to the splitting open of rocks and the earth opening up, like all of that takes place because the Lord makes it happen. Yeah, this is another step removed, but it's just on my mind today. I've been spending a lot of time in Philippians. We're doing a series on Philippians in chapel this fall at my day job. And uh, so I've been in Philippians a lot, just preparing for that series. And, you know, there's this constant invitation to rejoice, to have joy in that book and thinking about all in chains. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All constrained by enemies and adversaries exactly. trying to oppose the gospel. And even the, the residing lovers and binding lovers links, you know, where he's, he's bound to this people back in Philippi, even if he never gets to see them again yes. and is trying to console them that he hopes to see them. But if he doesn't, that's okay too. But it's interesting how much his capacity to rejoice. And I, I think the leading emphasis is in a future hope, but there's also a lot of remembering in that book. Yes. A lot of remembering of how, how they treated him, a remembering of Jesus's own story of obedience and exaltation. So even a remembering of his own story in chapter mm-hmm. three, when he goes through all his qualifications and how he regards them as irrelevant now in light of what it means to know the Christ who died and rose again. Yeah. So yeah, there's a, the light that was sown into the ground. Yeah, rejoice. <laughs> right. There you go. So joy is I, I've been inclined to see the joy of Philippians driven by hope, and that's true, but it's also grounded in memory, in remembrance. So And this psalm encapsulates that as well. Paul lives in this wisdom that is present in the psalm. Look yes, back that's where he's getting it from. Look back, remember, and rejoice, and have hope that God can and will eventually bring all deeds into light. Yeah, and there's something helpful, like about when I in in a sermon or a teaching of any kind, when I'm inviting others to rejoice, to have joy, to acknowledge the constraints around, of course. Yeah. And Things I that feel like we limit your joy. I think we're doing better at that. I think as a church, I think we've grown 
just mm-hmm. churches in general that I've, you know, from a kind of join the Lord as a, like a denial that there's anything wrong. You know what I mean? Okay. No, let's acknowledge it. But then this redirecting of energy towards remembering kind of grounds joy. It's not just like, oh, my surroundings are constraining, but I'm going to be happy anyway. It's, I have a reason for this joy. It's the looking back, the looking back to the first Pentecost. It's a looking back to exile and return. It's looking back to ministry of the prophets, looking back to Christ's own like you said, light that was sown. That's pretty, that's pretty killer, by the way. <laughs> well, uh, looking back to that, to the, to the second great Pentecost. And I think, it, you know, so thinking of these as things that we remember. Yeah. And from which we can draw joy. And I think it's also tied to the current situations, right? Where you have current situations where you have wicked ones, you have enemies who are constraining, you have, idolatry and unfaithfulness that's all current church is feeling like an island now right and feel like the dominant institution whatever is current in the life of the church whatever hardships that's a reason to rejoice (laughs) yeah in and of itself because it shows that god has not changed that god is still the highest that god is still working that fires still rage and that mountains are still present, right? So even in the midst of it is the occasion for rejoicing in it. Yeah. Because we can see it clearly. It's not going to last. It'll melt. It's not going to be the end. It's not going to be all dark or so blinding. It's going to be just what God enables to happen. Yeah, that makes me wonder if there'd be a place in... If I was preaching on this text, I might want to say, you know, one of the applications would be to pay attention when the lightning flashes. Because storms are frequently thought of as bad. Something to be feared. Something to be avoided. Pay attention. Look, and maybe even listing a few. What are some... What are some flashes of light in our time? So I think sometimes sermons can be really good at concretely describing the problem, but not always concretely describing the problem as an occasion for rejoicing. Yeah. The, the, the joy, the grace that we're looking at, we we tend to move. Okay. Now I'm going to look at the, even in the wicked ones, right? Look at the grace God has shown that wicked one. Yeah. 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 For that wicked one to still be here. Wow. Okay. There's a occasion for rejoicing because there's a potential for that wicked one to become a righteous one, an upright one. So there's still a reason for rejoicing. Yeah. I'm suddenly imagining how, like how much Psalm, especially preaching and teaching on the Psalms would really fit well with either invitation for, or, or planning ahead for testimony from congregants. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. to kind what of say, the flashes hey, here's a, yeah. And to have a few, maybe a few that would be prepared already. And Where I could see a sermon even God culminating in that. In the yeah. yeah. What are the mountains that you've experienced? Yeah, name the mountain. That's the exercise I'm thinking. Like if I was doing a prayer exercise on this, I'd be like, all right, you know, get out your journal, take a silent minute or two and name a mountain that seems to be in your way. Hmm or other constraints. That's a helpful concept. And then, okay, what are some flashes? 
You know, they're mm-hmm. just flashes, but what are you seeing? What are some signs that God's still speaking, working? Yes. You know, even if the mountain still, is still not yet melted, I feel like there could be, okay. And then, you know. And then the landing part, what are the ways you can give thanks? Okay. Yeah. Because that's where it ends. Right. That's is the final with call. Offering Thanksgiving. Whether that's an offering that you physically give or whether it's a verbal Thanksgiving or prayer or a posture, whatever that is, I think that's the landing point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's really good. Yeah. No, I'm kind of excited about there's possibilities here. There's a lot of possibilities here. And the prescribing, you know, it's not a kind of doctrinal acceptance of an idea, nor is it a sort of heavy handed sort of moral instruction, although that has its place too. Both of those have their place. But invitation to gratitude, you know, to Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. is really a a third thing beyond doctrine and ethics, which is what most sermons are, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) It's either teaching, you know, believe this with your head or do this thing with your hand. And it's kind of hard because when you preach to the heart, as it were, it's hard to not just say, feel more, you know, like, cause it's not about feel. It's, it is a practice to give thanks, but it is a practice of the heart. It's not just a, it's a practice a of cognitive the exercise body, right? Yeah. To rejoice is a complete body act to do head, mind. It's all together in rejoicing and in giving thanks. It all needs to be there. And I think that the rejoicing aspect of this can be difficult to invite people into, yeah. but definitely worthwhile, as you said, definitely a worthwhile exercise for people to consider how they can rejoice and how they can, how they can do it in such a way that later in time, they can look back and remember. Yes. Just yes. like the Psalm does. So setting up a remembrance. Yes. Remembrance Set up the remembrance now, whether yeah. that's building an altar or whether it's... That's why I do like remembrance more than remember just the simple verb. Because a remembrance implies a... I'm setting something up. Yeah, right. So that in the future I can look back. Or someone else can look back and say, oh, look at how God was active in in that dark time. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very good. That's very good. Well, thanks so much, DJ. This was great. I had a blast. You're always such a great interpreter of scripture. You're so fun to have on. Well, I give thanks for the flashes of light that God may have provided for the listeners. Well played. That was good. So better. <laughs> and I give thanks for you <laughs> as someone who could be that holy one that we can look back in remembrance and see God was working all along in your life. So thank yeah, you. Same back at you. May it be so. Amen. Well, thanks so much to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you guys. Uh, thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And uh, thanks to all our listeners of the show, but especially our patron saints who support the show. If you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. See ways you can enjoy the show. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>